Hello, everyone. Welcome to Evolution Network. I'm your host, David Mudrick. Our guest today is Shannon Gaddy. Shannon has over 30 years of consumer products experience. He's had many roles in a lot of different companies. He's been in sales, purchasing, supply chain management, uh, sourcing, buying, and he's also been a business owner. So, Shannon, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me, Dave. It's an honor. Well, tell us a little bit about your background and some of your work experience. Well, let's see. It goes back. Um, I started really uh, retail management. I managed a couple of retail stores. Uh, from there, I was recruited out to the East Coast to start an importing company uh, in the textile business uh, to New Jersey. Uh, so I went out there, uh, got the company going about a year and a half, then uh, really did not think that the East Coast was where I wanted to raise my family. Uh, so then I was um, recruited uh, to a company in Ohio, in Strongsville, Ohio, called Degree Slam Right West. Um, Good-sized company at the time, you know, a little over $100 million. Uh, but then I worked there for 17 years, started as a senior buyer, and kind of learned the ropes from uh, some really good, uh, really good mentors at that company. Uh, so that's where I really got some good experience on the sales side of it. Uh, aside from being uh, promoted to a director of purchasing, merchandising, marketing, and uh, advertising. I also was given um, the director of retail operations uh, position at the, simultaneously, and I was an um, account exec for uh, Walmart stores. Uh, so I was uh, their account exec for six years. Uh, it took me uh, pretty much a year, uh, one year uh, time to get my first order from them. It took quite a few trips out there just to get... Uh, get to know them, they have comfort level, and then so it took a little time uh, just to get out those sales. Uh, so we grew that business, doubled sales, six consecutive years in a row, uh, and then uh, they pulled that out. They, they put that onto uh, someone else in the sales department. Uh, from there, that's when I left and I opened a couple of stores of my own uh, here in Arizona. Uh, started out strong, then the housing market uh, hit, and Three years later, I had to close them, close them up. Um, then I went out to Nashville uh, for about seven years and I was a supply chain manager uh, for an auto parts uh, business. Moved back here to Arizona to be with uh, the grandkids and that's when uh, Dave and I, we hooked up and I've been here since. So, well, well, tell me about it. It sounds interesting that you took, what, a year and a half to get into Walmart. So what was that process like and how did you eventually get in there? Oh, the first time. Let's see. Um, well, we were a good-sized company, so we, you know we were known in the craft industry for a lot of products. And we were the the way that we broke in there was back with a regional, um, the re, uh, their regional uh, office, and they approved us for a couple of retail stores for um, some of the craft products that the retail that the managers wanted us to have. So we were so they had, we had a little bit of experience. We had a vendor number through the re, it was kind of like through the back door. Okay. So then I got an appointment with the buyer uh, to go out there just to show the what we were selling and we were selling it very well in a couple of stores. And of course she met. Nothing happened that first meeting. Went back for a second meeting uh, with this with the same buyer. Um, her name was Angela Jones. And nothing happened at the second meeting. Went for a third meeting. Showed more product. Still nothing happened there. 
And then I got an invitation from her because she knew my merchandising background and my retail background. And they, she had uh, a difficult time getting people to come, uh, the, her current vendors, to set up their Christmas department. So I said, why not? Let's go out there. We're not doing any business, but you know, I accepted her invitation. Went out there and spent, uh, let's see, they, they had a sample store across the street from the Bentonville uh, main office. And that's where we did all the uh, setups. So I spent a couple of days there. We were setting up all their Christmas, the, the, whole, the whole seasonal department. Then right at the very last day, the buyer noticed that there was an open uh, power panel. And she called me over and says, hey, Shannon, uh, we have this power panel open. What do you think? What, do you have anything you can put on there? We'd, this is what we'd really like. We'd love to have a, a tree topper. So right then, in a matter of an hour, we came up with the idea. Only had about 60 days to design, manufacture, produce enough for all of Walmart stores <laughs> for, that, for their seasonal. It was 2,500 stores. Got it done. Got sourced all the product put it in there. She sold it through. It only took about two and a half, three weeks to sell the product through. So then the next year, of course, there was the, well, the next meeting. We came, mm -hmm. went out for the spring meeting and I got more business, then more business. And then, so then we started to expand and work with other buyers at Walmart because the sell through, um, that's how they base everything. If you perform in, to their uh, requirements, you generate sales, they increase the business. So it's, it got to the point by year three where all the buyers would come into the, the meeting. They would book them. See, the way that Walmart worked is you only get 30-minute meeting blocks. But all the buyers, there was five buyers at the time, so I had five 30-minute blocks. And they were all just throwing product, you know, wanting you to, to quote because we were a company that produced, shipped on time, kept it in stock, and the product sold. So that's why and we had to control our growth with the Walmart, uh, with the quotes, where the company would only let us double the business with walmart uh each year so that's how we controlled it but that's how it took that long but once you start performing they you know the, the business just kept growing yeah well that's a great story so it kind of shows that persistence paid off and then just going a little above and beyond even though there was no order or no business going pitching in and uh, developing a little relationship with the buyer and then yeah you just happen to be there when an opportunity comes up that's if I wouldn't have accepted it, been out there, he would never, wouldn't even got the first order. Yeah, it'd have been easy to say, well, I don't know, there's nothing in it for me here. I'm not going to go out there and waste my time. But yeah, right. just a fourth trip for what to, to help her do it. You know, that it could would have been easy to say no, but it was worth the worth the try, worth the chance. Cool. So. Um, what other, do you have any other kind of stories? I mean, I think a lot of our listeners are sales managers, sales reps are dealing with, uh, you know, making cold calls. How, how do you break the ice? I mean, the story you gave was a great one there, but what if you don't even have that relationship? What if you're just emailing, if you're just leaving voicemail? Um, any kind of tips for people to, uh, you know, some kind of a story where maybe you solved a problem like that? getting through to people in some unique way or is it just persistence? What do you find pays off the most? Uh, well, from being, I've been, well, being on both sides of the table on the sales side for many years and on the buying side for many years, working with a lot of different salespeople, a lot of different suppliers, uh, not knowing the person, the cold calls were always 
they're the probably the last email you open, the last phone call you take, or the bottom one that you return. Uh, there has to be a connection. There has to, and it has to be like the first phone call, the first introduction. Don't count on any response. Uh, so persistence. Sometimes the third or fourth contact, you'll recognize the name. You'll know. Say, okay, let's take a look at this. So you know, sometimes that's what it takes because you would you're just as a buyer, you're bombarded with a lot of communications from whether it be phone calls, uh, emails, samples. You know, unsolicited samples being sent. You know, it, it takes something to grab you. Uh, there has to be like. Uh, like in an email, uh, it can't look like a spam. It can't be, you know, look like one because you, if you have a thousand emails in front of you, there has to be something there, something more personal, like something in a subject line to, to where that that you might know someone, a friend of a friend, or you know, something to introduce yourself to make just to grab your attention because chances are your email or your phone call is not going to be returned or opened. Uh, you mentioned the unsolicited samples. What do you think about those? What, what did you think when you got those? Did you look at them or did you did an assistant look at them or did they have any value as far as getting? I'll say, who is, who is this company? Did I request it? What, what's in here? You know, <laughs> if it wasn't there, you'd probably put it in a pile, maybe get to it, maybe open it up. If you don't recognize the name, if you know you didn't request it or give it to your assistant, see if they open it. Maybe if they know why it was sent. Um, if it's something that looks good, you give it away. <laughs> I know that sounds horrible, but that there's just so much that comes through at any given time. If it's not something that's really attention grabber that you might've seen out there that, or you requested or you're already familiar with, a lot of times the sample won't even generate anything. So you're talking about getting hundreds of emails per day, unsolicited from different people. At least hundreds, yes. So that's why when you hear people say, well, you need to go 9, 10, 11 times before somebody might even respond, maybe there's some merit in that. So it's just, oh, well, I've deleted it, but I've deleted it 10 times, and this guy's <laughs> still trying. What does he got? Does that make right. you, you want to open it or maybe even just look at it? No, not really. <laughs> not really? Okay. No, it's a lot of times they'll say, I've, I've already emailed you nine times. Well, if I didn't answer the first eight, why do you think? <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems like the, uh, in particular, the mass uh, buyers uh, in mass retail, um, you know, they change them around a lot too. So it's even hard to ever get a relationship with them or, you know, they're, you can't take them to lunch. They, you know, it's more and more difficult, it seems like, to even uh, make any kind of connection outside of that email or that phone call. Yes, it is. Yeah, that's uh, about every three years, uh, most of the majors, sometimes four, they'll rotate buyers through categories. Um and that's part of that persistence. But that buyer and your reputation will precede you. You'll get a second buyer. The, the buyers share all the information on their suppliers and the salespeople, who's good, who's not good, you know, who's up, who's down. Uh, so that is carried forward and that gets shared. A good, uh, you know, the buyers, they talk to each other and the buyers are always looking for good suppliers, good salespeople. And it makes it a lot easier if you have the right reputation with that group. 
and then they change places too. Uh, if you have a good relationship, you supported that buyer, you did well with it, and they move to another uh, company, which happens all the time, uh, then that's actually an opportunity for you for a new um, new customer. What about introductions from other buyers? I mean, does that carry any weight? I mean, if you get say, hey, I'm doing business with this guy, you know, uh, as a referrals help at all to break through that? Absolutely. They're, those are probably the most valuable. If you get, if you get a lead or a, a kudos of, of a salesperson or a supplier from another buyer, that's that's it's like it's like gold. Okay. Well, that's definitely a good tip to know. Um, what about? Uh, can you give any of your thoughts behind uh, you were also a buyer when you owned your own business. So now you're kind of the mom and pop store yeah. buyer. If you have a couple of stores, uh, do you think that approach is any different when you're going after uh, some of the big box retailers versus uh, a mom and pop? Yeah, as a mom and pop, it's even more important. Uh, well, you know, the big store, the big buyers for the you know, uh, high volume, they have a different workload. There's always a ton of emails. There's a ton. I mean, there's a lot of people reaching out to you, whether through all the social media, you're always getting bombarded with requests. But from a mom and pop standpoint, you have very limited time. You're wearing so many hats. You're not only doing all the buying, you're also doing the selling, you're doing the marketing and the merchandise. You're doing everything. So your time is extremely valuable. And even on the small side, you know, the salespeople, you have to be even more efficient in scheduling your appointments, how you're going to be able to help the mom and pop uh, customer because they have a lot less time to focus on it. Because while you're during your meeting, they still have a 20 other things that are going on simultaneously on the, in their store with their personnel. So they have, they can't even really focus directly just on you for an extended period. So you need to cut, through it all and solve what problem uh, need you know you need to do to get their business. See, they're they need help much more than even the big uh, chains in in a more timely fashion. Well, we talked about that a little bit before uh, the interview started here. Um, as far as the salespeople that you think are really valuable to you, uh, they're solving problems or they're helping you with your business. Could you maybe talk a little bit about that, how valuable that is and why, even if you're now in, let's say, and you've got several salespeople that you're buying from, uh, what makes one stand out from the other in your mind that you want to do business with them? Yeah, first and foremost, a good salesperson, number one, knows their product. They know their product line. And number two, they've taken the time to learn your company, your business, and the third, the most important part is how they can help you, how they can fix the problem. Everyone has an opportunity. You know, the, the, you know, every buyer has the challenges in front of them. A good salesperson fills that gap. They fill the void. They help the buyer solve the problem uh, with the product. It gives the opportunity. A good, you know, the good salespeople are the ones that listen they listen to the buyer and they make the connection they don't just come open their bag and throw everything on the table and say here's what i got you know but there's someone who studied that that um 
that company. They go, you know, they'll go in and they'll walk their sales floor. They'll see the product that they have. They'll see what they're missing. They'll see what product that's not performing or maybe another supplier that's not shipping the product in. It could be, you know, empty space. So that, that does no, absolutely no good for uh, the retailer. So a good salesperson will do some advanced legwork or just over time and learn and study their customer and make the connection of how they can help the buyer instead of just throwing it out there saying, here's what I got. What do you want? And, you know, that's, that's, the, that's the biggest difference between a good salesperson and your average salesperson. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Uh, what about uh, when you had problems coming up? Like, so something's wrong that people are going to miss a ship date. I mean, you know, it seems like some salespeople want to try to cover it up, make some kind of story or, you know, I mean, do you really think honesty is always the best policy? And just to come to you and go, hey, here's what we did. We blew this and, you know, here's what we're going to do to make it up. Is that? Just be a straight shooter. Tell it like it is, why it happened. If it was your screw up, admit to it, say, I'm sorry. That's the two best words you can say. Here's how we're going to fix it. You know, so don't just tell them that, hey, we have, a, we have an issue. Tell them, a, you know, help them solve the solution, help them to find a problem. And just be upfront with the buyers as soon as possible. Don't delay it. If you're going to be late with the shipment, get on the phone and tell them it's going to be late as soon as you know and don't try to cover it up. And hopefully they won't realize it because, yeah, most buyers do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, let's go back to a little. I, I mentioned that uh, you started some of your own stores. Uh, can you give us a little uh, background on that and kind of tell us your tale there and what happened? And Oh, sure. I went to uh, open my first store. Let's see. We got out there. I had it open within 60 days, open in June of uh, 2008. My business plan, I called. I was going to do, I needed to do $1,800 a day average uh, to pay all the bills, pay everybody, pay myself, and put a little uh, money aside to open a second store after year one. That was the business plan. Well, it didn't start out at $1,800 a day. Right out of the gate, we were doing five, six, seven, eight thousand dollars $8,000 a day. And it was fun. It was exciting. It was just, it was, every day was an adrenaline pump and you're doing the 17-hour days there at night. And you're just, you get so caught up in the moment. You're just running crazy. And it was a lot of fun. It was exciting as can be. So after six months, well, it was really after four months, I said, oh, I don't have to wait a year. I Let's open, let's get, let's start looking for a second, second location. So I went out and I started looking. I found one in November, Thanksgiving week, signed it, signed up for a second store. Not on that, not just a store, but I doubled the, the footage, double, double the size. And that was the third week in November of 2008. Well, if anyone was around here, December 2008, what happened? There was a housing crash, and that's what we did. We were a, a home furnishings, home accent, home store is what, what we sold. Okay. And immediately, it didn't happen. It wasn't gradual. It didn't, there was no warning, had nothing. Sales went to almost nothing. You couldn't pay people to come into stores. I mean, the, they were foreclosing. So that was a challenge. That was a very difficult time. That was uh, trying you know, to carry on. You're, all of a sudden, you're in uh, survival mode, and you don't even have that second store open. And it was already signed the lease. Everything was done. Construction was already com you know, completed. So all you could do was push forward. Just keep going forward. Try to stay on plan. Cut where you can. 
took myself completely off the payroll, got another job, got a second job, but still kept trying. You know, we held on for three years, but uh, you put the line, of, you know, the red line, and where you had to close up and hit that line, and that's close the doors. And that was in 2011. Yeah, it's a tough thing to go through. Um, what do you What do you think you learned from that whole experience? Mm. Positive, come out the other side. You could... Yeah, I mean, part of it you look and you see. So many times in life, there's things that happen that are out of your control. There's nothing. I mean, I I didn't feel good. I got my the question I kept asking myself was why didn't I see that coming? Anyone with half a brain should have seen something like that coming. Well, and the more I looked, the more I talked to people, and you really you talked to some you know some of the best business people I knew, they didn't see it coming. Not until I read this one book called uh, it was called the oh, the big I forget the name of the book now. They made a movie out of it, but after there's only five people in the world that saw that coming. Oh, the big the big short. Big short. That, that's yeah. It. yeah. There was the guys that like saw that it was coming and shorted all those uh, mortgage-backed securities, and yeah, yeah. they were like they one of the few people in the world. <laughs> but everybody thought they were crazy at the time, right? Yep. And here they, you know, there they cleaned up five people in the world, saw it, and even they were trying to sell it to other people. So it, that kind of made me feel better knowing that I wasn't the only one. <laughs> so that it helps you kind of move forward, you know, where you didn't feel I didn't blame myself as much. But it's hard, you know, when you lose everything, you know, when you. I even cashed out my 401k, you know, and that went into the, the business, went to, to pay payroll. You know, you sell your car to make payroll, you know, so you try to do everything to do it right. But I walked out of there. I, did walk, I didn't owe anyone a penny. Uh, so there's some things that you, you can hold your head up high. You know, a lot of people didn't. You know, it stuck a lot of people with a lot of uh, bills. You know, but uh, you just kind of accept it and move on, move forward, and, and know that there's a, always a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, well, that's something you can definitely be proud of. I mean, that's a lot of people didn't take that way out. They bailed quickly and stuck everyone, the banks or whoever they owed money. So, yeah, congratulations for doing that. Well, thank you. Well, uh, can you think of anything that I haven't asked you? I mean, what else do you think might be helpful to some young sales managers, sales reps, maybe, you know, get them to think about their business, maybe improving their business, their relationships, their networking, uh, just anything in general maybe uh, that might help them? Yeah, let's see. Uh, networking uh, and pretty much how you treat your customers. Big buyer, small buyer, one location, two location, uh, no matter what they are, treat them all with the same sense of urgency as you do your best buyer. You never know where that buyer is going to go to. What they might change jobs, they might increase, go from one store to ten stores quickly. Always, you know, treat every customer as if they are your best customer. If I can give you, you know, any advice that would get you further long term, uh, show these people that you're in it for the long term, not a fly by night, one stop uh, visit. Because you see a lot of that. You'll get a salesman, you know, they'll pester you for a sales meeting 20 times you finally give it to them and if they didn't get an order that first that first visit they don't even bother contacting you 
Just mm-hmm. be persistent. You know, let them, buyers need to, you know, because they only have a certain amount of dollars, so many open buys to go around. Show them that you're going to be there. Uh, not just this meeting, that, that you're going to be around for them and that you can take care of them and uh, serve them, you know, as they deserve. All right. Well, that's definitely good advice. Okay. Well, I appreciate you coming on today. And I think all the information you gave us is really valuable. will help a lot of people. And uh, Thank you so much for having me. Enjoyed it. All right. Thank you. Good luck with this podcast, Dave. All right. All right. Thanks, Shannon. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye.